0: Well, good morning. We're delighted to have each of you with us. It's a blessed day. So I came in early this morning, the sunrise was just as beautiful as it could be, and we are honored to have each of you with us today. We're going to be in the book of First Thessalonians in just a moment, and we encourage you to get your Bibles or get there on your phone. We'll be reading a section of that in just a moment, and we are glad you could be with us. We're going to begin by talking about words here in just a moment and we'll be looking at some things from god's word to be of encouragement to us you know i was thinking while ago if we could transport back in time to what the original early christians were doing now the building wouldn't be like this because they didn't have church buildings they didn't have all the lights they didn't have a whole media team and technology and microphones and powerpoint but in essence what core things we do they did and that's where we get that. They would have had prayers to the God that they believed in, as we have this morning. They would have sung from their heart to Jehovah to praise him, as we have this morning. They would open God's word, as we're going to do right now, and read from it and preach to one another. And what they were doing in the early, early disciples the early Christians was that they were participating in worship. And that's what we do here. We're so glad to have our guests with us today. This is unlike going to a concert. You go to a concert, you pay your ticket, you sit there and entertain me. It's not like going to a movie. It's not like going to a sports show. This is something where we engage our body, our emotions, our mind, and our soul to connect to the God above. Words are important. Words are the vehicle in which we communicate to one another. We're not like our car engines. We walk in and and my forehead says he's down a little bit of oil or he's running hot. The only way we know is by talking to each other. Through our words, we communicate. Through our words, we share. Through our words, we learn things. Through our words, we warn, define, and such things as this. The book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. This morning from the book of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to read about this phrase where the Apostle Paul says, With these words. What a great expression. With these words. A young couple stands before the preacher, and with these words, he pronounces them man and wife. A someone who's been elected stands before a Supreme Court judge. And with these words, that person is sworn in as the president of the United States. With these words, Congress can declare war. God began his Bible by saying, in the beginning, God. And what follows are, God said. And the creation came about with these words. As we walk through the gospel with these words, Jesus made the crippled to walk. He made the blind to see. He raised the dead. He caused demons to be leaving people with these words. And so in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, we begin in verse 13. Let's read verse 13 down through verse 18. We're going to just kind of stay here today looking at a few other verses here and there, but we want to walk through this text and notice some things Paul says here. Begin now verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who fallen asleep in Jesus. For we, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You see that? With these words. What the apostle here is talking about is the death of a Christian. And As Larry mentioned in our prayer, and as we know so well in this church family here, we've been to the funeral home many, many times recently. And it's on our hearts and the feelings we have. And In fact, I was thinking of one of the hymns we sing. And the hymn says, Does Jesus Care? Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? And then a third stanza. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? My sad heart aches until it nearly breaks. Is it all to him does he see? And the course, of course, says, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. And so this morning, when we think about this phrase, with these words, I want you to notice four blessings that come out of this passage that the apostle tells us with. The first blessing is how he begins this section, verse 13, by saying, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. You see, when one doesn't know... One doesn't is not informed, one doesn't have the right idea. He, he's open for all kinds of ideas, all kinds of speculation, whether they're right or wrong, all kinds of ideas. And what he begins his section is, there's no need to be uninformed. There's no need to be in the dark. The subject of death is something people don't like to talk about. And I think they, they think if it's out of mind, out of sight, it'll just go away, but it never goes away. And so he begins this section by telling us it's not to be fearful, no need just to kind of guess. I I think this is what's going to happen. There's no need to think, well, my gut tells me these things, intuition tells me these things. He reminds us in verse 15, by the word of the Lord, God's answer. And That's why in this place the word of the Lord means so much. You have an opinion. I have an opinion. You have an idea. I have an idea. The world has an idea, but it's God who knows. By the word of the Lord, He's going to say these things. And these words, He's going to tell us in the following words here. These, these words aren't going to bring an understanding, they're going to bring uh, information to them. And what there's going to be is clarity. Clarity. And what you do is, we've read this section here, it's not dark and gloomy. It's not pessimistic. It's not the idea that this is where we all have to go and such a terrible, terrible way to go. The words are upbeat. He talks about hope. He talks about Jesus. He talks about forever. And we see the clarity there. We learn insight. We see things that maybe we never knew before. And then there's wisdom. And all these words come about with a sense of absoluteness to us. Once again, when you look at this section, remind ourselves what he says in verse 16, where he says, for the Lord himself will descend. Notice the absoluteness. Jesus will descend. Not like we're hoping he's going to come. Our fingers are going to cross that he's going to come. We wish he would come. We know he's going to come. And so this helps us to understand this idea. Now, there are three concepts here that the apostle wanted them to understand. First and foremost was that the righteous dead will be raised. This section of scripture is not a decourse or not an understanding of what happens to all people who die. He's not explaining that. He's not talking about generally the world, this is what happens. He's got one specific topic. I want to talk to you about the death of a Christian. They've lived their life for Jesus. They worshiped God, and now they have died. Was it worth it? Did it get them anything? What's the purpose of all these things? What's the big deal about these things? We notice he says that about those who fallen asleep in Jesus. That's the emphasis he's driving at here. That's what he wants them to see as we consider this concept of what is before them. In the book of Revelation, the Revelation writer says this, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, "Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. You see that? From now on, yes, says the Spirit, so that they may have rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. In the book of Psalms, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And that's what the apostles is bringing about. We worship, we worship together, we're a church family, we do all these things together, and then death takes one of us, and there's a seat empty beside us. There's a loneliness in our heart. Well, where does it get? What's the purpose of all this? So he wants them to understand about the righteous dead that they will be raised again. He would say in the book of 2 Corinthians, the same apostle, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. In the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. How do you know that? How do you know that when you walk away from the cemetery, that's not it? My dog died, my fish died, now my dad died, my brother died, my mom died, I died. What, how do we know that's not the end? Because of the scriptures, because of Jesus, because of what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe, and that's what we see. The second thing he wanted them to know, he wanted them to know that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming again. And again, he says this very loudly in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The absoluteness that Jesus is coming again. He will descend from heaven. What's interesting about the book of 1 Thessalonians, every chapter talks about the coming of Jesus. Let me show you this. Go with me to chapter 1, if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 10. Last verse of chapter 1. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Again, the idea that Jesus was raised from the dead. And the idea that Jesus is coming as a result of that. Look in chapter 2, verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown or exhortation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? He is coming again. Chapter 3 of Thessalonians, if you will. Look at verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God and Father, that at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints... Now, we're already looking at it here in chapter 4, where, again, it shows us this in verse 14 and 15. But now, chapter 5, he says, Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anyone to be written to you. Verse 2 says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Over and over in every single chapter, he's reminding them Jesus is coming. And this is something he wanted them to know. There's going to be a voice, it says. There's going to be a shout, it says. The trumpet is going to call. Again, the Thessalonian writer would say, it to, or in Corinthians, he would say this. He says, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, after those who are Christ, at his coming, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and the Father when he's abolished all rule and all authority and all power. I don't want you to be uninformed, is what i say I want you to know this. Now, in a world that walks around without the Bible, they got a bucket on their head. And they don't know what the Bible says. They don't know what's going to happen. They get worried about China. They get worried about the environment. They get worried about this and that. They get worried about asteroids and aliens and all kinds of stuff. Paul says, you're different. You're informed. You've got the Word of God in you. And Jesus is coming again. And then the third thing he wants them to know is that the righteous will be with the Lord forever. Again, he says this in our context in verse 17. He says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we will always be with the Lord. Always with Jesus now this is not a rapture this is not something that's kind of unique in some different way a secretive thing this is something that's universally known through the bible that when Jesus comes the righteous are going to go to heaven with him I want you to know these things now from this we see the second thing this passage brings up is a sense of hope a hope for us and again notice verse 13 of our context We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, asleep being a phrase for death, used only of the righteous. When when we talk about John 11 and Lazarus, our friend Lazarus is asleep. Let's go awaken him. In Mark chapter 5, when the synagogue official's 12-year-old daughter had died, Jesus says she is asleep. This is a concept the Bible uses, not of everybody, but of the righteous. And so he says here in verse 13, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, the death of the Christian, so that you do not grieve as the rest who have no hope. Two type of grieving there. Two type of hope. A real hope and an artificial hope. Everybody wants their friends to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody thinks that's where we go. But there's a realistic hope that's based upon what God says. Hope in the Bible is surrounded by Jesus. And it's built upon the promises of God. That if we follow him, we believe in him, we have forgiveness of our sins the hope in the bible is something that's sure and absolute it's something you can count upon and again not just something that's out there something that's different and so what's the point of coming to worship on the cold sunday morning because god is why read your bible because god is why talk to him because god is and those things remind us of how important these things are if you will turn with me to second corinthians chapter five and let's just pull out a couple of verses here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 1 and then again a little bit later down here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice how he starts this. For we know. Remember how Thessalonians started? We don't want you to be in full uninformed. For we know, he says, that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. He's not talking about where you live. He's not talking about Cedar Way Drive where I live. He's not talking about my house. He's not talking about a tent. He's talking about our bodies. Our bodies is the tabernacle. Our bodies holds our, hold our souls and our spirit. So if this earthly house, this earthly tent is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You destroy the outer man. The outer man dies. That's not the end of the story. That's the point. We live on. And so down here in verse 5 of the same chapter. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose. What's the purpose? To live with God forever. God's intention was not be that we live forever down here. We get to be a thousand years old on planet earth that's not god's intention god's intention that you get to do whatever you want to do as long as you want ignore me and do what you want that's not god's intention god's intention is for you to spend forever with him we got a lot of grandmas in the audience i'm married to a grandma i said that to her one day we were driving down the road i looked over here i said you know what? i'm married to a grandma she said you want me to tell you why i think i said no <laughs> but you know what grandma's cannot spend enough time with the grandkids. The kids, I think, can, can go their own way, but give them the grandkids, they love the grandkids. And God did not make you so you can just go about your way, live as you want to live, never think about him, never talk to him, and just be as happy as you want to be. God made you because he's always thinking about you. He knows exactly the way you are. And when this audience, as I look at all of you, we are all made differently. There's some of us are so shy that when somebody says hi, we put a sack over our head. Some of us could talk to this wall and somehow the wall would talk back. I don't know how it happens, but they do that. Some of us are real talented. Some of us, we're not sure what the talent is. Some of us are young. Some of us old. Some of us got a life history of all kinds of experiences. Some of us have done nothing in life, it seems like. But you know what's in common? God made you. And God made you the way you are. We live in a culture here. Let me just take a sidestep here. We live in a culture that says God made mistakes. I'm a man, but I'm supposed to be a woman. God doesn't make mistakes. God made you the way you are. God wired you the way you are. Why are you so sensitive? Why are you so insightful? Why are you such a problem solver? Why are you such an extrovert? Why are you such an introvert? God wired you and made you just the way you are. But in all of that, as different as each and every one of us is, God wants you to spend forever with Him. You see that? And so this concept of the resurrection brings that out. Now back in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're in chapter 5, go back to chapter 4. Look in verse 18. Here in verse 18, again, as he's talking about these things. While we look at things which are not, while we look not at things which are seen, but things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things not seen are eternal. What do we see? I see you. You see me. I told somebody a while back, we have a really full house. They said, I don't know where to sit. I said, come stand with me. The view's really good. Everybody looks at you. And I look at you. But what we're seeing is the external. The external doesn't last. The external is temporary. But what we do not see, and that's what we really focus on, that's the things that matter. The things of God, the soul, the spirit, those kind of concepts. And so with this idea, we see how important it is that we have a hope, a hope built upon Jesus, a hope that not somehow some politician is going to solve all these problems we have today. We're going to rid ourselves of crime and racism and all these ills we have today. And finally, it'll be nice on earth. That's never going to happen. God's made a world for those who follow him. It's called heaven. And that's where the righteous will be. Now the third thing this passage brings out is a comfort. He says this in verse 18. He says at the very end here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. We like comfort. We've got what's called comfort food. You're not feeling good, you get some chicken noodle soup, and that makes you feel comfortable. Our chairs are called lazy boys because it's comfortable. We have blankets we call comforters. And all that helps us to bring this concept of what it means to have comfort in God. The comfort he's talking about here comes about through the Scriptures and through the Word of God. Now, we're going to be reading a passage here from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 15, about death. And it's going to parallel death to a sting you ever been stung before bumblebees hornets yellow jackets they all got kind of ugly name don't they i remember years ago when i was dating somebody back in high school i was working outside got stung right on the lip on a friday you can't do much with a bee stinging your lip it kind of hurts you And that's the idea. So Paul would say here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Stings hurt. Death hurts. For someone to say, okay, someone I love died, but doesn't bother me. There's a problem with that. It ought to bother you. But it doesn't destroy you. It doesn't defeat you. It doesn't put you in a place where you cannot move on because we're talking about what is in Jesus Christ. The sting, he says, of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he's emphasizing here is that death is not the end and Satan never has the final word. Comfort one another. Yes, death hurts. Paul would say to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We understand the the loneliness and the heartache that it causes. But when we talk about the death of a Christian, it is so, so different. Because we realize that they're just over on the other side with the Lord. And then the fourth thing this passage brings out to us is the idea that these words help. Once again, grab that last verse of 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 18. Where there he says, comfort one another with these words. With these words. Paul is getting them to see that these words were intended to be shared with someone. I don't know what to say when someone has a death in their family. Say these words. That's what Paul's saying. Comfort one another with these words. If the Christian has died, we know he's going to be raised. If the Christian has died, we know he's with the Lord. If the Christian has died, he's in the best place he could ever be. In the hands of God. That's what these words mean. And they ought to help us. And they ought to see the great idea that we'll live on and on as we consider that. With these words. What a simple statement. Somebody wrote this a while back and says, The gift of the cross. A wine-soaked sponge, a sign above his head, two crosses beside him. The diadem of pain, when sliced your gentle face. Three spikes piercing flesh and wood to hold you in place. The need for blood I understand, your sacrifice I embrace, but the bitter sponge, the cutting spear, the spit upon your face, did it have to be a cross? Did not a kinder death exist than six hours hanging between life and death, all spurned by a betrayer's kiss? Oh, Father, you prose, heart stilled at what could be, I'm sorry to ask, but I long to know, did you do this for me? And the answer is yes. He did. Because Jesus died, death doesn't have the final word. Because Jesus died, there's a hope of a reunion. Because Jesus died, we can move on. Because Jesus died, we know that God is still in charge and always will be in charge. There's been a lot of folks who have had a lot of tears in this congregation. And we hope that these words remind us and teach us and inform us there's a lot of funny ideas out there. I've had people tell me that when you find a penny face-up, you look at that date, and that's a message from somebody who died that year. Well, what's that supposed to be? Don't give me a penny, give me a $100 bill. I can't buy anything with a penny. <laughs> what's that supposed to mean? And then people talk about this and this and this, and all these things. Paul's words are, don't be ignorant. Don't be uninformed. No. Know that the dead in Christ will rise. Know that Jesus is coming again. Know that we will be forever and ever with Christ. And what that compels us is that as we live through this life, I need to be among that righteous. I need to be among that saved. No one knows when death's going to call. No one knows when the hour is going to be. That divine appointment is made, and who knows? God doesn't promise you you'll live to be 95 and fall asleep in your death. We know all too well. People die a lot younger, a lot of times suddenly without being ready. And so what this passage reminds us is in the midst of brokenness and sorrow and tears, there's hope. And 1 Thessalonians is written in such a way that it's a sunshine, not a cloud. It's written in such a way that there's something to look forward to, not to walk away and say, well, it's all over. It's something to remind ourselves that God has taken care of them even on the other side. What hope there is for that. This morning, if you're not a Christian, boy, you need to be. You need to be. The hardest funerals ever to preach, and I've done way too many of them, is first of all, someone I've never met before. I know nothing about their life. And worse than that, they were not a child of God kind of hard to talk about that hope when they lived without hope. It's kind of hard to talk about God when they try to ignore God. It's kind of hard to talk about the, the promises of scriptures when they close their heart to the scriptures. And so what we see in this is among ourselves, as Paul was writing this to the living, not to the dead, was to remind ourselves, I need to be among the righteous. I need to see the hope that awaits me. I need to see that it doesn't end with a sad song. It ends with the glory of being in the presence of Jesus. One of my favorite stories is in Mark 5 when Jesus resurrects that synagogue's girl who had died. And as he got to the house, there was a big commotion. The professional musicians were there making a the big motion and everything. And Jesus get them all out of the house. Mom, Dad, Peter, James, and John are in that house. And Jesus takes that little girl by the hand Speaking in Aramaic, he tells her, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she opens her eyes. And who do you think is the first thing she saw? Jesus looking at her. And I sometimes think that house is going to be for us. Someday, unless Jesus comes first, we'll close our eyes here for the last time. But if we're walking with Jesus, we open our eyes. There he is. And I imagine when he, that little girl opened her eyes the Lord had a smile on his face. I imagine it's like you're back. How comforting that is. That's what God promises for those who walk with him. The death of the righteous is not the end of the story. The death of the righteous reminds us of how powerful, promising and wonderful our God is. Don't you want to be among that? If we can help you want to stand as we sing this song.